It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, friends? Welcome back to another edition of the Locked On Panthers Podcast, powered by our friends at BuiltBar.com, the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Just go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you will get $10 off your first order. Billy Rossetti with you guys here. Hope you guys had a good weekend, and we're going to start this week off with a bang. I'm really excited for this one because I got my good buddy Mark Schofield to come on with me, and we are going to touch on quarterbacks. We talked about uh, the quarterback room in Carolina, so we we touched on uh, the switch from Cam Newton to Teddy Bridgewater, uh, how Teddy's going to fit in Joe Brady's system. Uh, we touched on a couple of the receivers as well, specifically Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson, how they could fit into the mix. And again, we went through touching on all the quarterbacks in the room. So we got Mark's thoughts on PJ Walker and Will Greer. And we also, a uh, nice little tree here too. Mark's going to share uh, some tips for those of you that maybe are just getting into scouting, things like that. And want to learn a little bit on how to watch the quarterback position with a more keen eye. Mark dropped some tremendous tips on how to watch the quarterback position. Especially with uh, another strong quarterback class. Which we touch a little bit as well. Uh, we touch on the 2021 class. Guys like of course Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, uh, Jamie Newman, Trey Lance. A bunch of guys Mark dropped some knowledge on. So really great conversation. Really excited for you guys to check it out. And so sit back and enjoy. And before we get into that, uh, again, real quick, want to shout out our friends at BuiltBar.com, the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, where they have 16 amazing flavors, uh, chocolate, some have chocolate and nuts, some are chocolate and nut free, so whatever your taste is, uh, whether you like white chocolate, toffee almond, peanut butter, raspberry cream, orange cream, they have so many different flavors. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew, and they are healthy, as you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, as these bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. For example, the peanut butter brownie, 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. So, if you guys want to try this for yourself... Just go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get $10 off your first order. Again, promo code LOCKEDON, $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. You can enjoy these treats just like I have, so thank you so much to our friends at Built Bar. And so without further ado, uh, let's jump right into it. Here's our conversation with the one and only Mark Schofield. All right, guys, welcome to a special segment here on the Locked On Panthers podcast. Bill Rossetti here with one of my best friends here in the world of draft Twitter and, and just uh, in general. He's just a great guy. Uh, Mark Schofield, you know him, you love him. He's all over the place, uh, touchdown wire. Uh, he's been with Big Blue View. He does, you name it, he's been there. Um, and he's a great buddy of mine, so I'm so happy to have him here. Mark. Welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you on again. Uh, we talked at the Combine. Great to see you again. Bill, it's great to see you again. Um, like you said, look, we got a chance to catch up, spend some time together at the Combine, which was great. Always great to see you. 
Um, excited to talk some quarterbacks. Um, first time I've seen you since draft night, right? We were on, uh, what was it, night two yeah. uh, with David, David Crumlow, um, doing a little live draft stuff. But uh, it's good to see you again. Excited to be here. Absolutely. That's right. Mark, uh, Mark and I were both with David during that live stream. That was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, it's always great to see you, Mark. So even, even in this kind of Zoom setting, but uh, always great to chat. And, yeah, we're going to dive into quarterbacks here for you guys. Uh, we're going to touch on the Panthers quarterbacks, get Mark's takes. And then we're also going to touch a little bit on just watching quarterbacks. If you guys want to – you guys are getting into scouting or just want a little more info on how to watch some of these guys because we got another pretty solid-looking quarterback class coming in 2021. So we'll just get some – general stuff there but we'll just jump right into it mark uh first question i want to talk to you about of course is the switch at the quarterback position for the carolina panthers obviously cam newton is gone and Teddy bridgewater is in three years uh 63 million dollars new offensive coordinator in joe brady what was your take throughout the whole process of why you think they ultimately dropped cam newton and brought in teddy bridgewater and how is teddy going to fit in with joe brady's offense yeah, I mean, I think when you start with the Cam Newton aspect of this, you know, obviously Cam Newton is a unique talent at the quarterback position. I, like many others, yourself included, are puzzled that he doesn't have a home right now. Um, because when you look around sort of the NFL landscape, yes, there are a lot of teams that are probably happy with their quarterback rooms and their quarterback situations. But there are some organizations, perhaps my New England Patriots, um, that would benefit from a quarterback of Cam Newton's skill set. So I remain puzzled that he's not with a team right now. I would imagine that if you're Cam Newton or somebody in his camp, you're expecting injuries to happen over what might be a you know unique and uncertain training camp and preseason situation because of how many games we're going to have, coronavirus, no minicamps, no OTAs. And so he's probably waiting for a situation where a starter quarterback – or a top-flight backup goes down and he has a chance to come in and get a job. So, you know, he's probably waiting to see how things shake out. I think from Matt Rule's perspective, you know, this is a chance to have your kind of offense, your kind of system, and your guy, you know, in the room. And so I think, like we often see with new regimes when they come in, you know, they move on from the previous player, whether it's Josh Rosen in Arizona or, you know, Cam Newton here in Carolina. And so I think what we're seeing unfold is Matt Rule wanted to put together his offense. And, you know, he did that by getting Teddy Bridgewater and reuniting him with Joe Brady. I mean, let's not forget that Bridgewater and Brady spent some time together in New Orleans with the Saints. And so the offense we all sort of expect to see in Carolina is going to be very similar to what we saw last year from LSU, obviously, at least in the passing game when Brady was the passing game coordinator. And those concepts, those formations, schematics, route designs, they're basically ripped from Sean Payton's West Coast playbook. And so you're going to have an offense that is very familiar for Teddy Bridgewater. And when you saw Bridgewater play last year, let's not forget, many, myself included, thought when he went down, when Drew Brees went down, excuse me, and Bridgewater had to make those five starts, three and two would have been great, right? They went five and oh. You know, Bridgewater, it wasn't like he lit the world on fire, but completed like 68% of his passes, nine touchdowns, just two interceptions. You know, I had a game in the rain against Seattle where he chucked the ball down a ton, got Kamara involved in the screen game, but they went five and oh, and he showed that ability to sort of just run a system and get the ball to the guy who needs to get the ball. And so I think what that's what we're going we're gonna to see in Carolina. You know, you're going to have a situation where, obviously, they're going to use Christian McCaffrey very similar to how they used Alvin Kamara. 
very similar how do they use CEH at LSU last year, get him involved in the passing game. You know, another thing to remember about Joe Brady's offense is something like 80% of their passing plays at LSU last year were a five-man protection team. So they're going to let the running back, in this case Christian McCaffrey, have a ton of free releases. And that's very difficult for defenses to handle. But you need a quarterback that can get the ball out of his hands quickly and make the right decision. That's what they're getting in Bridgewater. So I think that's what they're putting in in terms of an offense. I think it's going to work. I think Bridgewater is a guy that can make that system work. And so I'm excited to see the evolution of the Panthers' offense in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you. you I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be a fun offense to watch. You know, they have some star players. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey's the headliner. DJ Moore's an up-and-comer. Um, there's some intrigue, too, with Curtis Samuel and uh, Robbie Anderson. Do you think there's any way those those couple guys can kind of step in as well? Like, I, I, guess, I guess we'll say this, too. There's – the, you know, the comparison with the LSU offense, is there a way we can compare, like, Carolina guys to, you know, who they had last year? Like, is someone going to have, like, the, the Jamar Chase role or the Justin Jefferson role? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a very good place to start. I think looking at the tandem of Anderson and Samuel, that's your Chase and Jefferson, I think. I think you're going to see a lot of Anderson doing some more of the vertical stuff like we saw Chase do, particularly along the boundary. You think back to the national championship game and how – you know, Chase had that great game against Terrell, the Clemson corner. A lot of double moves, a lot of vertical stuff. Samuel, I think, is going to be that underneath, that over-the-middle type of player that we saw from Justin Jefferson, a wide receiver that I absolutely loved and I think is in a great spot in Minnesota. I think that's one way to look at those guys. What's going to be interesting, I think, to me is the tight end position. You know, we're sort of expecting this to be Ian Thomas's show. The tight end didn't get a ton of love. In the LSU offense, you know, Thaddeus Moss, in a sense, was a fullback slash H-back type guy. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see if they get the tight end involved more. You know, in the NFL, tight ends have the potential to be that sort of difference maker, that mismatch type of player. And Thomas showed that potential at times over the past couple of seasons, certainly did at Indiana when a lot of people were really excited about him coming out. And so I'm curious to see how they utilize the tight end in this system, given what we saw from it last year at LSU, where Moss was kind of a role player. But you would be kind of a role player, even as a great tight end with the wide receivers that LSU had last year. And so, you know, I, th I think circling back to the initial question, Anderson's the chase, Samuel is that Jefferson guy, and that could be a very potent one-two punch for this Panthers passing game for the wide receiver position. Yeah, definitely something to look forward to. Um Kind of rolling through the rest of the QB room because it's you know def definitely a different uh, uh, they changed things a little bit even behind Teddy Bridgewater uh, Kyle Allen's gone they somehow got a fifth round pick for him from the Washington Redskins bring in uh, PJ Walker who was the star of the XFL and then they kept Will Greer so you know to me it kind of says that maybe this uh, this organization this new coaching staff kind of likes what they see in Will Greer especially as a you know probably as a number three I imagine PJ Walker might be in. Uh, at number two, what did you see out of PJ Walker uh, when he was in the XFL and throwing all those touchdowns? And what do you think he can carry over? Um, you know, what can he develop on? What's what's kind of his outlook in Carolina? Well, I think you have to go back to Temple, right? You know, rule his one of his first quarterbacks at Temple was PJ Walker. And, you know, Temple really improved themselves as a program under rule with Walker at the quarterback position. You know, they played in some big games. They had that Notre Dame, that Saturday night primetime game, I remember, 
you know, Sean Kaiser at Notre Dame as their quarterback. And when you watched Walker back then, you saw the athletic ability. You saw the ability to make the quick reads, decisions, and throws on RPO concepts that we can anticipate being a part of what Carolina is going to do. That was certainly an element of LSU's offense last year. And he showed that in the XFL, Walker did the ability to make some of those quick reads and throws. You know, when they signed P.J. Walker to this roster, I wrote a piece over at Touchdown Wire, you know, breaking down what P.J. Walker can do on those RPO concepts, highlighted how some of those are very similar to what LSU was running with Joe Burrow and what we anticipate Carolina to be running in Joe Brady's system. And so I, I think that element of the offense is something that he's going to be extremely familiar with. And Walker has shown over his, his time both at Temple and then in the XFL. And even looking back to, you know, his time at Indianapolis from in those preseason games, you know, the ability to make some throws downfield as well as that RPO type stuff. And so I, I think, you know, he will give Rule and the Panthers like a solid number two option that they know can step in and run the majority of their offense. I think Will Greer... You know, I don't know if he's viewed as sort of the long-term future with this organization. Probably not. I think he's more of a practice squad guy that, you know, if another team has a need for a backup quarterback, they might be able to move. I think the acquisition of Walker is more of a here-and-now type thing where he is going to be their number two, and he certainly showed the ability to play at a high level, both at the XFL and, like I said, you know, the time that he had in Indianapolis. And so I, I think they're viewing him more as the number two rather than Will Greer. And just kind of looking down the line, you know, because I agree with you, I think Will Greer, you know, he's a solid number three, but um, he kind of showed last year he's not really ready for prime time. But if you look, you know, we're starting to look into the future a little bit, 21 uh, a little bit. Are there any potential quarterbacks – especially if the Panthers get into that top 10 range in the draft next year, which a lot of us kind of expect they're going to fall into. Are there any guys that could potentially fit what they might want to do? You know, I don't think they're going to be in the position to get Trevor Lawrence because I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the NFL. I think Teddy's going to win them a few games. Um, you know, could Justin Fields fit? Could Trey Lance fit? Uh, Jamie Newman. Are there any guys out here that you think could potentially be a fit next year? I mean, this has the potential to be a very solid to great quarterback class. Um, you obviously mentioned Trevor Lawrence at the start. I think he's, you know, just from the work that I've done on him already, he's one of the cleanest prospects we've seen. Um, you know, Matt Waldman and I did a video on Trevor Lawrence uh, a couple weeks ago, breaking down, you know, him from a number of different games. And we talked about potential scheme fits for him, and we basically said anywhere. Like, Matt even went as far as to say you could drop him into Baltimore's offense and have him play the Lamar Jackson role. Like, that's how athletic he is. That's how good of a runner he is. You know, Matt highlighted a bunch of plays where you saw him setting up blocks as a ball carrier better than you see many college running backs do. And Trevor Lawrence is absolutely legit. But what we've seen so often, Bill, and you're a veteran of draft Twitter, you know what happens. We build up a quarterback, and then we start chipping away at them. You know, there are a lot of people now that have made declarations that Trey Lance is QB1, that Justin Fields is QB1, and that Kyle Trask is QB1, the kid from Florida. And Trevor Lawrence is sort of like sliding down in everybody's eyes. I think everybody needs to slow their roll on this. Trevor Lawrence is legitimate. Like, he is an extremely good quarterback, and I think he would fit into any system. Um, and I, I anticipate what will happen with him as we get closer to the next draft is what always happens is we build these guys up, we tear him down, and come next February, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence is gone. 
Like, that's typically the life cycle of these tough-like draft quarterbacks. But, look, Justin Fields and Trey Lance are legitimate as well. You know, I've been very impressed watching and studying Justin Fields. I think he has the release, the process, the speed, the accuracy, the athleticism, all the things you want from a top-flight quarterback. It's just he doesn't have the extensive body of work that Trevor Lawrence does. But I could understand why people might say he's just as good, if not perhaps better, than Trevor Lawrence. I understand why people might do that. I'm not ready to go there yet, but I can understand why people would do that. Lance is also legitimate. Um the efficiency with which he runs that NDSU offense, it's part of the reason that Carson Wentz ended up the number two pick in the draft in 2016. You know, it's a pro-style, pro-ready offense. You know, West Coast elements to it. But he runs it extremely efficiently. No interceptions last year. That is going to get NFL decision makers excited when you talk about a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over. That's music to coaches' ears. Um, certainly contributes as well as a runner, and I think over a thousand yards rushing, so it can help you in that way as well. He's a great talent at the quarterback position. Obviously, there will be questions about the level of competition coming from the FCS. Playing at NDSU, it's like the Alabama of the FCS. You know, I remember going back to Carson Wentz and the debates about Carson Wentz. People were saying, "Look, he's playing against guys that aren't going to be in the NFL," and that's true. But you also have to remember he's going up against defensive coordinators, and this is true for both Lance and Wentz, that spend their entire waking moments, the week playing up to when they play NDSU, trying to come up with ways to stop these guys. And so those are guys that are getting highly paid to do one thing, one thing only, and that's to stop the NDSU quarterback. And so don't read too much into the level of competition. What you want to see from a guy playing at a lower level, can't he dominate that level of competition? 20 touchdowns and zero interceptions is dominating that level of competition. Outside of those guys, look, a lot of people have mentioned Trask. He's intriguing. Um, I'm very curious to see how Newman fits into this offense at Georgia. I'm very intrigued by Tanner Morgan in terms of a scheme fit. That Minnesota offense might be very similar to what we're going to see in Carolina this year. So I'm very interested to see that. Some people have talked about Brock Purdy, the Iowa State kid. Another interesting kid to watch. This has the potential to be a very deep class, Bill. But a lot of these do. And we're going to get somebody that's going to come out of nowhere. You know, I've been talking with some people about the Cincinnati kid. You know, there are some people that are pretty excited about um, Desmond Ritter, the quarterback from Cincinnati. You know, maybe he's got some ability to him. There's usually people that come out of nowhere. Like we saw last year with Joe Burrow. You know, even when I studied him last summer, I thought, Look, there's something here, but I don't think he's more than a day three guy. So there will be some people who come out out of nowhere, but it could be a very good class. Yeah, I've, I've been able to see some of these quarterbacks too, and I'm with you on Tanner Morgan. Um, you know, I, I like how he's been handling that Minnesota offense. I watched a couple games a couple weeks ago. Um, he seems pretty cool to me. Um, it's just going to be interesting just see how much he develops. I know there's a wide range of opinions on him, so it's going to be fascinating uh, to watch him. I checked out Holton Ayler's a little bit uh, not yep. long ago. He, you know, I don't know if he comes out this year because he's only going to be a true junior, um, so he's probably more of a 22 guy, but I think he's another kid that's uh, really on the rise. Um, but I'll uh, one more thing I want to talk to you about. Like I said, I wanted to get like into a little bit of scouting things, so just kind of a general thing. So for people listening to this, and you know, obviously most people listen to this obviously have a general idea of football, what to look for, but maybe for those that are new to the game or, you know, just want to expand their knowledge and want to start really watching the quarterback position with, um, 
you know, get more knowledge about the position, things like that. What are uh, some of the key things that you look for? Like if you're helping someone start how to scout quarterbacks, what are you teaching them to look for? How are you watching these things? You know, what's kind of a, a good base to get started with here? Yeah, and I think something that, Bill, people should keep in mind when they think about the quarterback position and sit down and start watching the quarterback position is when we watch, say, a tight end or a center, defensive lineman, linebacker, you know, for the most part, those are snap-to-whistle positions. That's how I've termed them. Quarterbacks, a huddle-to-whistle position, or even a needed room to position to whistle position because so much of the quarterback position happens between the ears and before the snap. And so if you find yourself sitting down to watch a quarterback and most of the time you spend is during the play itself taking notes or writing notes down or taking notes into a spreadsheet and you ignore what happens before the snap, you're missing the bulk of the, the important stuff um, because – so much of what the quarterback is responsible for and then does on a given play is decided before the ball is snapped. And so when I'm watching a quarterback and I take notes, pen and paper, I'm old school, I'm a man, I'm 43. More of my time is spent before the ball is snapped in terms of writing stuff down and studying the play than when the play actually takes off. You know, I'm looking at, and this is because of my background as a former quarterback, admittedly the worst college football quarterback from the 1996 year to 1999. Like, I freely admit that. I was awful. Like, when you're the backup quarterback for a Division three non-scholarship school, like, you are de facto, like, the worst quarterback in college football. That was me. I get it. But it makes me okay to talk about this stuff because I was so bad at doing it. I just observed it from the sidelines. You have to get yourself into the mind and the cleats of that player before the snap. You have to look at the secondary. One safety or two safety deep. That should be where your eyes go first because that is what the quarterback is doing. Middle of the field open, middle of the field closed. Make note of that. See where the cornerbacks are aligned. Are they in man technique, you know, where they're looking at the wide receiver, feet parallel to the line of scrimmage, or they're in zone technique? Are they off? Are they pressing? Where are the corners? Where are the linebackers? What's the defensive front look like? Look into all of that, you know, before the play begins. Is there motion from the offense? If so, what does the defense do in response to that? You know, so many teams from the NFL on down use motion as a means of giving their quarterback information before the ball is snapped. And so if you see a guy motion across the formation, what does the defense do? Is somebody trailing that? If so, I make a little note. MR, man response, that shows the quarterback. They're probably in man coverage. If they don't, if they just sort of stay static, ZR, zone response. Now that quarterback knows, okay, I've got an expectation pre-snap of either a cover two, you know, middle of the field open-based zone coverage or a cover two man coverage or whatever. Now you have a frame of reference for where that quarterback was when the play begins. And then the fun starts because play begins and, you know, if he has to make a read based on what his pre-snap expectations were and he makes the right read, great. If the defense changes things and he realizes that, sees the rotation, sees the change of the defensive coverage and makes the right decision, that's even better. Or if they rotate and he reads it wrong, well, that's something you want to know. And so you want to get yourself as close as you can into that quarterback's mind before the ball is snapped. Then once the play begins, what are the things I'm looking for? Obviously, it continues to be a mental thing, the process of speed, the reads, the decision-making, and all of that stuff. But you also want to see things like mechanics and footwork and how it all ties together. 
are they, you know, tied together with the flow of the play from their head to their toes, right? A prime example of that, Gardner Minshew, when he was at Washington State, one of the things I loved about Gardner was, you know, when he's making those four or five progression reads, left to right, reading wide cross, his feet tied directly to his mind. As he's working those reads left to right, his feet are constantly moving underneath him. So if he's going to throw left, his feet are there. If he's going to throw middle, feet are there. Going to throw right, feet are there. Then you see somebody like this year and Anthony Gordon in that same offense, the feet never moved. And so he made every throw much more difficult when he finally decided where to go with it. His feet weren't set. And so that's something you want to see because feet and footwork, they are a window into the quarterback's mind. If they're unsettled, if they aren't underneath them, he's not going to be successful. If you watch Joe Burrow at LSU, even on RPO concepts, those feet were always in a position to throw. So you want to watch the feet. You want to see how they handle a pocket. Do they collapse against pressure? Do they bail more than they should? Do they seek out chaos more than they should? Baker Mayfield is a great example of that. Or do they stay and fight? Are they like a boxer? Do they use their feet to create just enough space to get off a throw in the pocket? That's what you want to see from somebody, somebody that's confident, that will stand in and take a hit, but can create enough space to get off a throw if they need to. Accuracy and ball placement are critical. Those are tough things to teach, and there is a difference. Accuracy is completion percentage. But you can be an accurate quarterback with a high completion percentage, but have poor ball placement. The difference is this. Accuracy is just throwing a catchable ball to a receiver. Ball placement is putting the pass in a position for the receiver to excel after the reception. You know, if you're throwing an out route and you throw it behind the guy to the back shoulder and they catch it, great. Much better if you throw it out in front of them so they can keep their momentum going towards the sideline and potentially break up field. If you throw it a post route over the middle, you want to put it leading them upfield. Or there are circumstances where you see a low throw over the middle and you might think initially that's a poorly placed ball. Well, no. If you're putting it low so that free safety doesn't light up your receiver, if you're putting it low by design, that is a good throw. I'll give you a playbook example of this. Brian Billick's West Coast playbook when he was with the Ravens, when he had the slant flat concept, he told his quarterbacks in the playbook on the slant route, you throw it as low as possible. Why? You don't want to get your guy lit up working over the middle. Bill Walsh said the same thing. When you're throwing that slant route, you put it on the frame of the guy as low as possible because you don't want to lead them into danger. And so ball placement versus accuracy, that's also critical. Final thing on selling that, yardage after the catch is a quarterback stat. We often think it's the receiver stat, but if you are making throws on time, in rhythm, with anticipation, and putting the ball where it needs to be, you're putting your guys in position to excel after the catch in terms of yardage after the catch. So if you're seeing a quarterback that's putting his receivers in position to get that yardage after the catch, that is huge. That's another huge Bill Walsh thing. And finally, and this can't be overstated, competitive toughness. Is this a guy that his players want to play for, or is it a guy that folds in those moments. You know, I'll take you back to Dak Prescott. I missed wildly on Dak Prescott. I had him as like quarterback, like 17. Like I just, I, and part of it was the ball placement issue. He struggled with ball placement and he's gotten better to his credit. And I'm going to tell you why in a second at ball placement, when he's gotten into the NFL, he's gotten much better at it, but I missed on his competitive toughness. I had it in my notes and when I actually went back and revisited my quarterback rankings for that season, I had it in my notes, plus competitive toughness. I even did a piece on it over at Inside the Pylon where I showed people the picture of my notebook on him. He had a game against Alabama his junior year that they lost, but he battled to the end of that game. I was really impressed by it. 
but I didn't weigh it enough. And why he was able to be successful as a rookie in the situation he was, was his competitive toughness, his will to be better. And as a result, I started weighing it more when I did my rankings. Who was my QB1 the next year? Deshaun Watson. Why? Competitive toughness. Think about his national championship game, that second one against Alabama, when he helicoptered himself into Reuben Foster, right, on a third down. That team wanted to play for that guy. He was going to will them to a national championship, and he did. It matters at the quarterback position. And I can tell you from personal experience, when you're a quarterback and you walk into that huddle and you get 10 sets of eyes looking at their feet, shuffling their cleats, they don't want to look at you, they don't believe in you. They're not going to put themselves on the line for you. But if you're a guy that does that, you're going to walk into that huddle, you're going to see those 10 sets of eyes staring right back at you, believing in you, wanting to go to battle with you. Like that matters at the quarterback position. And so competitive toughness, it's one of those things. It's like Justin Potter Stewart said, you'll know it when you see it. When you see that guy that is going to will his team to victory, that's a guy that's going to be successful. Awesome stuff, man. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Deshaun Watson because I remember you – I remember one of your tweets or one of your just kind of note-taking things when you went back and looked at Deshaun Watson. I, th- I think if I remember this correctly, you, you looked at Deshaun Watson just focusing on fourth-quarter stats throughout the season or something like that. Do I remember that right? Yeah. I, one of the things that I look at in terms of statistics, I looked at – I like to look at red zone, third downs, and fourth quarters. Correct. And, yeah, I looked at Deshaun Watson's fourth-quarter stats, and they were, like, ridiculous. And those included, like – two national championship games against Alabama. Like, I think he had, like, 16 touchdowns and one pick over that time. I'm trying to pull that stuff up now, but, yeah, it's it's critical. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even, um, even like... Yeah, here, here it is, okay? This is the tweet I put out in February of 2017. Every time I think about Watson, I come back to these numbers. 67.3% completion percentage, 1,615 yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. That's his career in the fourth quarter while he was at Clemson. And there you go. That's why we talk about looking at those critical moments, like you said, third down, uh, fourth quarter, red zone, things like that for really any position, but especially the quarterback. But that was a lot of great info, man. I really appreciate you. I, I know I certainly learned a lot, and I know the listeners are going to learn a lot. That was incredible. Thank you for that. Um, so before we get out of here, if you want to tout whatever you got going on, because I know you've got probably quite the laundry list going yeah. on over there. Yeah, um, look, it, it's it's a lot. Look, um, easiest way to find me is on Twitter at Mark Schoolfield. Um, but I write for places like Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, where I'm doing a summer scouting series, starting off with current quarterbacks. I, I've got two series pieces up on Jimmy Garoppolo, six videos total. First one was talking about footwork. Second one that just went up this week is talking about manipulation and not so much the the easy throwaway looking at safety off in the middle field. I'm talking about moving underneath linebackers. Like I finished with a video on him moving Luke Keekley out of position, which is almost unheard of. And so, you know, I'm doing that over at Matt's site. Um, like you mentioned, Touchdown Wire, I've got – in addition to all the stuff I'm doing day in and day out, I've got a series going called Metrics That Matter where I look at one stat for each team from 2019 and talk about why it was bad and how they're trying to fix it or why in the case of sort of Seattle with Russell Wilson's high sack numbers, why it doesn't really matter because Wilson is so great when he's pressured. So that's something I'm doing for each team. And then look, I do work for three different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, like you mentioned, uh, Bleeding Green Nation where I co-host the QB Factory with Michael Kist. And, of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you've got my show, The Sco Show, just dropped an episode on Thursday um, doing some of those metrics that matter pieces for the NFC East and West. And 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. The easiest way to find me, though, is on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You're going to get a ton of Peaky Blinders and, and Scrubs gifts and, you know, some irrelevant humor at times, but um, lots of dad jokes, too, because, like I said, I'm a man. I'm 40. Um, but, look, you know, all good times on the Bird app. Absolutely, yeah. Mark, Mark's the best, and I've said this numerous times uh, throughout the podcast and even in general. Mark's like a big brother to me. I honestly do look up to him. He's he, he's just the best, and I, I appreciate him so much. He's done so much for me, and I can never thank him enough for uh, everything he's done for me. So just to get get a chance to spend a few minutes with you, Mark, just means the world to me. So thank you so much, man. Bill, you know my, you know my, you know you're my boy, buddy. Anytime you need me, you know where to find me. And again, like he said, follow him at Mark Schofield. I mean, I'm sure 99% of you listeners out there do already, so I'm sure you hopefully enjoyed this episode. And uh, thanks again to Mark, and we will be seeing you around. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So again, shout out to Mark for his excellent talk here. Really appreciate it and hope you guys learned a lot because I know I certainly learned a lot as far as watching the quarterback, certainly opening my eyes and giving me some tips going forward. A couple business things before we kind of wrap things up here. I just wanted to let you guys know here that the Locked On Podcast Network does stand against racism and social injustice, and that's why we as hosts on the Podcast Network are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. So to make your own donation along with us, if you so choose... Just go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash Black Lives Matter and help us fight the battle against racism and social injustice. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at RockAuto.com, the place where you can get all your favorite parts for the car that you need as Rock Auto has numerous parts and pieces for any type of manufacturer makes models, all kinds of stuff, as you could just go to rockauto.com and save money by doing so, as you don't have to worry about going to the shop and paying a lot more money and hoping that they have the exact part that you need. Where with As with rockauto.com, you can choose your make, your model, uh, the brand of the part, whatever you want to do, and save a lot of money in doing so. And this is perfect for... Uh, professional mechanics and the do-it-yourselfers as their prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low as they always offer the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. 
and just write locked on in there how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com and as we get out of here i uh, want to remind you guys to also check out our friends uh vinny over at locked on fantasy football i mean hey fantasy football drafts are coming up I myself am in the Scott Fish Bowl again for the fifth year. Very grateful and very excited to be a part of this again. And Vinny's going to be a, a go-to guy for you guys if you want to get the latest on fantasy football. So go check him out. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in as well every day here on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And hope you guys, hope to see you guys here next time on the Locked On Podcast Network. Until then, take care, everybody. Have a great rest of your Monday, and we will see you soon. I am out. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.